Welcome back to another episode of The Taste. This is Doug Schaefer at Schaefer Vineyards, and I think we have a fun one today. As you know, if you've listened to a few of these podcasts, we talk about people's stories related to wine, how they discovered it, how they fell in love with it, and how it has shaped their lives. Well, today we're doing the same thing, but this time, instead of a story where someone falls in love with wine and then goes into growing grapes or making wine, we're talking with a guy who's gone on to make a career of telling stories about wine helping millions of people understand wine and love it as much as he does. He's been in magazines and television. He's worked with celebrities, all to educate and entertain about wine. It's a great journey, so let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Taste. Doug Schaefer with another episode. Really excited today. I've got a long-term friend of mine who uh, we've known each other a long time but have not spent enough time together. In fact, I was thinking about this morning, I don't know a lot of this guy's story. He's a food wine lover. Our paths have crossed forever. He's currently the executive wine editor of Food and Wine Magazine and Travel and Leisure. Uh, I see him in New York. I see him in Aspen. I see him in Napa. Mr. Ray Isle. Welcome, Ray. Doug, thanks for having me. This is great. I also was thinking this morning, I was trying to remember, we've known each other 20, 25, 30 years. When I, did we first meet? I think I think we met, uh, it's a little vague, but I'm I'm pretty sure we met when, before I was writing full-time, when I was, when I was freelancing as a journalist and working as a supplier rep for Dows and Graham's Ports. And I think we <laughs> met at a either a Weinbow or a Lauber um, sales event. Because you were with, I was with Winebow. You were with Winebow, Winebow, yeah, in New York, in like ninety, somewhere between ninety eight and two thousand. So probably at the Winebow Harvest, you at know, the harvest fair. tasting thing. Yeah, so, and that's that's a while back now. <laughs> but then I know we definitely hooked up when you were working with Josh Green at yeah. Wine Spirits. So I left. I I worked for a couple of years um, doing being a wholesale supplier rep for right. selling port, which trying to haul a bag of wine, a bag of port around New York in August and walking into stores <laughs> and saying, well, you want some port? And guys would look at you like, what are you, you lunatic? Go away. Um, um, it taught me a lot about sales. Um, but then I, I left that job to because Josh Green had read something I'd written and he hired me full-time as an editor at Wine and Spirits magazine. Okay. And I was there for five years. At that, great. Um, and it was great. It was a great place to work. Super. Let's start. I got to start all the way back. So okay. born, born and raised. I was born and raised. It's true. Um, <laughs> I was I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. Um, my my dad was a professor um, at Rice University and I grew up um, in Houston, uh, not in a wine drinking family. Uh, I mean, I th- there was there was certainly beer around. I remember that my my father was really thrilled the first time that Coors was available east of the Rockies. Mine was too. Yeah. We used to, sorry, I'm jumping in. Chicago, because yeah. yeah. he'd take us out to Colorado to ski. He was, yep. a, he was a ski bump, so he'd, he'd drag us out to Colorado. And a lot of times we went with him and a couple of the dads and just the kids. They'd always bring an extra suitcase and they'd fill it and with Coors with beer and bring it back. And he, he kept it in the basement. It was just like gold. Yeah. The same, I, well, <laughs> damn near the same thing. My dad, um, we he because he was a teacher, he had summers off. We'd go camping in Colorado. Okay. And he'd literally load up the back of the car with cases of Coors and we'd come back. And then suddenly it was available and it was, it was, it, then there was, I mean, it's hard to imagine now, but there was this kind of murmur of it's going to be available, you know, in Texas right, at some point right. soon. And, uh, well, same thing in Chicago. Well, this is it. Well, here's, you know, we were talking before we came in about business and, yeah. uh, think about that. 
Because I remember Coors was like, you know, you can't get it. It's it's it was it's this, gold. It's it's it's. It I was mean, a regional specialty of all things. So this this image, and the the desire for it. Yeah. And the minute you expand it and go nationwide, all of a sudden it's readily well, then, available. Then it's kind of like the it's yet is, another. The thrill is gone. Yeah. It's yet another. You know, let it another can of beer. Another can. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it's it's funny that that sort of you know the, the romance of scarcity is a really interesting. It's, it applies a lot to wine, obviously Ooh, too. It does. It uh, does. Maybe I should shut down five or six states and make it a little tougher to get. There you go. There you go. That's an idea. Just just cut people off now and then to make them <laughs> make them make them hungry. <laughs> I run that by my or thirsty my sales team and see what they say. They're not going to like that. Um, um, brothers and sisters? I have one brother. Okay. Um, none of us are in Texas anymore. Um, uh, my brother's outside Philadelphia. Um, he, he's, uh, he's a musician and, and runs a, a bicycle shop too as cool. well. Um, so different path than me. And I live in, I live in New York city, which is where food and wine is, is based. It. Part Great. of food and wine is based. Part of us, weirdly, part of the magazine is down in Birmingham, Alabama, and part of it's in New York. Interesting. Wow. That's yeah. A, that's well, a... the short version of that is 20,000 square feet of test kitchens. And ah, the sure. rent, the retail cost of twenty thousand square feet of test kitchens in Birmingham, I don't know, hundred bucks a month or whatever. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and in New York, it's you know, really really expensive. Yeah. 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 So. So and your mom when you were a kid. So my mom, um, my mom was a prof- uh, she taught ice skating. She was a professional. She taught ice skating, ice skating in Houston, Texas. In Houston, Texas. Yeah. She she had been a competitive ice skater um, in up in Connecticut where she was from. Uh, Went to Stanford, met my dad there. They got married. He got a teaching job in Houston. She came down. I think first few years, she occupied herself raising me and my brother. Right. Eventually, she was like, I can't get away from these two. And uh, and started, you know, sort of part-time and, and then, you know, fairly full-time freelance teaching ice skating, which in Houston was a very weird thing to do. That's pretty well. So I got to ask it. Did you skate? She I skated. Teach? I did. Yeah. I even played hockey briefly. But was it, so you were more hockey than triple axles? Yeah. My brother <laughs> went more towards the, the jumps and spins, and I went more towards the the whacking a puck around with a stick hockey in houston i just love it it was it was yeah the houston arrows they the the team launched when i was there and they got they got somehow got like gordy howe from you know canada to come down and play for the houston arrows oh i didn't know that i mean that's sort of twilight of his career i think yeah because i remember growing up in chicago gordy howe was the big because i was a blackhawks fan and all that yeah he's a big deal i don't think the arrows lasted very long houston (laughs) houston's not a hockey town (laughs) um so wine wasn't a big part of the no. home scene, but what about food? Food was, I mean, my mom was a pretty good cook. It wasn't, you know, this is the 70s and yeah. and it wasn't, the restaurant and chef world wasn't like it is now right. with sort of star chefs and, yeah. and, and there weren't, you know, the, I think the only TV shows was Julia Child and the Galloping Gourmet. Right. Um, but she did cook and, and liked food and we ate, we ate good yeah. food. My dad when she started teaching, of course, then my dad cooked sometime. And basically, it was a series of hamburgers or chili, canned chili, or hamburgers or canned chili. Yeah. Or hamburgers and canned chili. I know that drill. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I got, we had a neighbor. I had good friends who lived down the street. And my friend's mom was a quite good cook. And I remember hanging out in the kitchen with her and, and, and just kind of helping out occasionally. And there was something about it that got me into food as an as an idea i i had zero clue that i was ever going to end up sure. in this world um, but there was something you know yeah there I mean? was something and and it's you know that 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 early sense of, of flavor and that some stuff actually really does taste way better than other stuff um i think probably was i probably got that pretty early on okay um, 
you know. Well, there, and, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm, I was kind of curious. I was wondering if there was something. So there was yeah, something. There was yeah. something. And yeah. then it, and then it took a while. You know, I went to college as, as one does. And then I went on to grad school and I was, I was headed down the same path as my dad. I was headed towards being an academic. Um, I got, Back, I'm going to back up. Yeah. High school, how, what was high, high school in Houston? High school in Houston, sports, college in Houston. Sports activities? Nothing. No, I was not a sports yeah. guy. I, I ran occasionally, but right. I, you know, um, I, I was a, I was a music head. I mean, I'd spent a Got lot it. of time listening to music um, loudly in my room. <laughs> I got to ask you, you know, growing up in Texas, because, you know, I've known you for a long time. When I first met you, I never, I would never have guessed that you came from Texas because, you know, there's that stereotypical Texas thing. Yeah. I mean, what was that like? You were like living in that or was it? Well, I was, I was sort of tangential to it because my, because, because my dad was a college professor. I mean, it's not like we were out on the farm with the cows, right. you know, <laughs> though he did later in life actually buy a farm out outside Houston in Schulenburg. He sort of, he sort of morphed into a Texan, I Got guess. It. I mean, he grew up in Eastern Washington, which was a fairly Right. Country area Country at that time. My land. mom grew up in New Haven, um, in a university town, you know. Got it. Um, I, I think part of it is that, you know, like when I, when I left Texas after college, uh, I mean, I still had a, I had a Texas accent. I said, y'all and all this kind of thing. Um, I've been gone for a while. It's right. kind of, it's kind of been trimmed out. If I go back there, my, my accent starts to change a little bit. The, the more I stay, it, it, it sort of heads towards a little bit more Texas accent. And it's, you know, it's, it's funny. It, it, um, it's a great place to grow up and it's a, and it's a state with a ton of character and right. has a lot of personality and I'm, I'm quite happy to come from there. I don't always agree with sure some aspects of my home yeah. state, but it, I probably retain some inner Texanness. Sure. You know? I still, I still own some cowboy boots, you know, it's, yeah, well, it's kind of, if you hand them to you at birth, if you're in Texas, got yeah. Cowboy yeah. Boots. So, got cowboy boots. yeah. But so, so you stayed, you went to Rice. Went to Rice. Was yeah. I was an English major, did a lot of theater, went off to grad school. Well, no, I should rephrase that. I went off to Austin to be in a really crappy band for a year and a half. Well, you years. mentioned music. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. You, so were in a, you were in a crappy band. I was in a crappy band. Oh, come on. Yeah. I was in a, I was a DJ at, in college and in a band or two, all bad. Um, I what, mean, loud. And loud. fun. What'd I mean, you, we had a blast. I was rhythm guitar and lead singer, <laughs> or lead shouter, as the case may be. It's, I mean, this is sort of the punk era too. So you know, it was a, it was a, um, you know, I think everybody should be in a band at some point. It's a, it's a blast. And but I, one one thing I learned. So we moved. To, we sort of on the band on mass moved to Austin to be a band. And this is after college. This is after college. Did that for about two years. Sort of realized. We weren't that good. And one thing you realize is that like the, all the, all the stuff you hear about band problems, like the, you know, the drummer's a psychopath and the guitarist like, <laughs> like wants to play louder than everybody else. And, you know, then the, the bassist is sleeping with a drummer's girlfriend and all that is that happens in famous bands. And that happens just the same in really awful, like post-college <laughs> bands. And so you have dysfunction and you're playing in kind of crappy clubs. And I was working, I mean, I was working actually at the Sheraton 800 number to pay the rent and then like lo- really music the stuff at night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. Sheraton reservations. This yeah. is Ray. Can I help you? Oh, wow. <laughs> so, wow. you know, cause I that probably, was, I probably talked to that, you. I mean, I, there were a lot of music people in Austin that time who worked at the Sheraton call center cause it was. Well, so what, what years were the, what were you, what this would have been late eighties. This is, this is like 80, 88, 89. Okay. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm traveling late 80s. I'm traveling to Austin to sell wine. Yeah. Because back then for us, 
It was tougher for us in the big cities. We weren't that well known. And we ended up selling wine in secondary markets, the majority of our wines. Columbus, Ohio. I mean, I used to go there all the time. Austin, Texas. You know, Chicago, New York, we couldn't break into in a big way. But I remember going to Austin in the late 80s. It was, I just loved that town. It it was a fantastic place to hang out. so cool. Yeah. And if you, um, you know, it, it, it... it was, you know, it, there's this long-term Austin thing about, you know, keep Austin weird. It really was right. weird at that point. <laughs> and there were, you know, it was, it's gotten fancier over time yeah. and it was still pretty scruffy and kind of, you know, there was a fantastic music scene. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of really good Tex-Mex food. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wasn't, certainly wasn't going to high-end places at that point. Right. And it was a blast, but I, I about, you know, about a year into it, I was like, well, I, if I, I could do this for a long time and I will be in Austin in 20 years in a bad band, you know, working at an 800 number call center and maybe this is not the, the future. So I, I applied to grad schools and literature and, oh, great. Um, and I ended up going off to Boston university okay. to create a writing fellowship. And I picked Boston because it was as far in the continental U S in terms of sort of like, uh, culture and distance as I could go from Texas. Well, I was, I was aware that you went to Boston. So you yeah. got your master's in Boston? Got my master's in Boston. Okay, yeah. But I was thinking about that going from Houston and Austin to, to Boston. It was like, what was that? I mean, A, you it, got the weather. B, you've got the cultural thing. Because the yeah. Boston, New England thing, there's a thing there. Oh, there's a thing. You know, there's a thing. And it's, it's not good. It's not, it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just, it's a thing and it's it's unique to that area. Yeah. My experience. And so you rolling in there. Yeah, rolling in there. And, and, and. We lived, um, me and four roommates lived in this hideous apartment above a fortune teller in, <laughs> on a, in a, the base of, some, of a place called Winter Hill, which is on the Somerville Medford border. Okay. And it's it's basically where Whitey Bulger used to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was a really cheap apartment. It was a pretty rough, at the time, I mean, it's much more justified now. It was pretty much relatively, you know, there was still kind of tough Boston oh, yeah. aspects. And, you know. The, the, you know, there was, there was some skepticism about any college kid walking down the street <laughs> and, and it, and it was just also just such a radically different culture. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, I remember a couple of things. One, I remember walking into the, at the time, as I said, I did have a tax sex and, and I walked into the, the local sandwich shop right. called the white sport, weirdly enough. I don't know why it was called the white sport. And I said, do y'all have something? And like, literally everyone <laughs> in the place looked at me like, who are you and what are you doing in our town? <laughs> and, you know, I thought, okay, <laughs> this is, I feel a little conspicuous. And so you were probably 20, 24, 25. Yeah, I was, like I was probably, yeah, around, right around there. And I did finish that um, degree. At, well, that, and, and then from there I moved to DC, um, okay. helped run a rare bookstore uh, in DC. Um Weirdly enough, um, this is after your after, after, your after the masters. Yeah, work, well, I was writing fiction and trying to figure out how to become a novelist. So you're right. So yeah. So yeah. yeah. Going, so at, at, at this point, the plan is I, uh, I'm a writer. Yeah. At this point, the plan is I'm a writer. I'm going to write novels that will mm-hmm. sell enough to support me. That is right. a very bad plan. I will just point out. Oh come on now. Yeah. Well, yeah. writing novels is not a bad plan, but writing novels that you expect to support you is not necessarily a good plan. Okay. Um, All yeah. right. I mean, then you know, going into winemaking is not necessarily a good plan either. Agreed. You know. Um, so I moved to DC, but I ended up sort of meeting a girl and staying together with her, even though she was still in Boston. I used to take the train up and she was working at a, at a, 
Um, she was actually in grad school in, in Providence at that point and worked at a high-end restaurant called Angels, which is closed right. eons ago. And I remember going up a couple of times and sitting at the bar and waiting for her to get off work. I'd take the train up, you know, and, and to go see the girlfriend. And the guys at the bar would be like, you know, have a glass of wine. Try this. Try this. And okay. And that was that was the beginning of... Is that when it started? That's kind of when it started. Say, okay. That's kind of when... It's kind of when I... I mean, up until then, I kind of just... If you drank anything, you drank whatever. It's like you get out of college, you drink beer. Right. You know, there's a there's a Miller Lite. You drink a Miller Lite because right. it's there. You don't really give it a whole lot of thought. And that's the first time I started, th- like, giving any kind of thought to wine. Okay. And also started thinking, this stuff's pretty good. And then I stayed in D.C. And that and that girl who I'm no longer, for a long time, have not been sure. involved with. But she moved down. We lived together for a little while. And and the one of the big transition points for my life as a wine person was we went out to dinner with her father at one point to a restaurant called restaurant Nora. And he ordered a bottle of 84 diamond Creek volcanic Hill, which probably had, I mean, this is probably 89 yeah. at this point. 90. Okay. And I remember sitting at this table, ostensibly talking to my girlfriend's father and, and my girlfriend, but basically sitting there drinking this wine thinking, what is this stuff? This is amazing, you know, and so you can remember that vividly. Is, you know, people yeah. ask me, "Where was your moment? What was your wine?" I don't, I don't have one. I don't have yeah. a story like that. I, I, I vividly remember it, and I remember, and it's often, you know, the, you, you know, this feeling where you get to the end of the glass, and you're like, "Man, there's that's it. There's no <laughs> more." You're kind of like trying to trying to take smaller sips. Is it starting to disappear? And you know, the bottle's empty. And I no, I remember it, you know, to this day, and it. uh and it really got me interested in wine. I mean, you can remember it was, it was Diamond Creek, Diamond Creek, Creek Volcanic Hill. Hill. It was 1984 vintage, vintage, which I had about, I mean, it was on the Nora list. And yeah. Probably it was five. It, it, there was more older wine floating around. Yeah. Kind of, I don't think there was quite as rigidity of, of current right. vintage. And so I started looking at, because I was working in a bookstore, I started looking at wine books. Okay. I remember I went out, I couldn't find Diamond Creek, and I probably couldn't have afforded it actually, sure. but I found like a Fremark Abbey Bache right. from the same year for 1999. Wow. Which is what it cost back then, which is, tells you something. Right. <laughs> and I remember buying it, taking it home, trying that. And and my girlfriend who was living with me also had a little bit of wine knowledge from re- her restaurant career. Sure. So um, so I started going to Calvert Woodley. I started- Oh, in DC. Talk, yeah, great, yeah, talking great guys, you know, do you have, what can I try? I mean- you're the guy hanging out on the weekend, talking to the wine talking, guy in the talking, store, talking saying what's, what's, what's new, what's cool. And, yeah. and that's their job. They love it. So they're like, and they're like, yeah. you know, somewhere like you walks in, they're like, yeah. You know. And I, but I was like the, what's new, what's cool. I've got 20 bucks, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, but at the time, 20 bucks could get you, it, it could get, get you Ridge Geyserville. It could get you, um, it could get you, you know, Fremark Abbey. It could get you, you know, good Crow's Hermitage. It could get you. 24 you know, bucks could, could get you 88 Hillside Select. It, it, there you go. Yeah. Which is kind of mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he should have sold me some Hillside Select. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> it was but, on allocation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. So that's yeah. how it started. That's how it started. And then, okay. you know, fast forward a couple of years, I, I got a fellowship to um, another writing fellowship to Stanford, a thing called a Stegner Fellowship. Okay. Um, which is a, a writer in, it, it's sort of a like graduate, write, graduate school writer in residence thing. And I... So you're at Stanford, you're uh, actually writing and you're teaching too? And I, I was teaching as a lecturer for a few years. Okay. Uh, so I was Stanford for five years, all told, um, 93 to 98. What were you, I'm curious. So what were you teaching? You're teaching creative I was teaching, writing? I was teaching um, creative writing to undergrads. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, um, that must have been kind of and fun. A sh- and a short story class yeah. as well. And it was a blast. I mean, it, it's there's nothing... 
there are lots of things about academia I don't like the infighting in the politics sure. and that kind of thing. And a little bit of the the there's a weird having grown up in it. There's a weird kind of like stasis to it that you stay the same. You get older and older, and the kids stay the same age, which yeah. is weird because you're always teaching nineteen and twenty year olds, and you're sort of gradually getting older, older and older, and older. Which, which rubbed me oddly. And but the thing I did love about doing that was teaching and, yeah. and teaching teaching smart students about literature was a blast. And one of the things I still love doing with wine is teaching wine classes. It's, okay. it's you know, it uh, wine class is a little different because you've got like in an hour class, you've got 45 minutes before everybody isn't paying attention anymore. Right, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, you're tasting wine. But but I was fortunate because, so I was I was hanging out at Stanford um, and and writing and, and teaching, mm-hmm. but I was into wine. So I was buying wine, you know, once a week I'd go to KNL down, the, you know, nearby and, and buy something, whatever, right. whatever it'd be, you know, I was sort of exploring the wine world. And, and then I started hanging out at wineries, you know, I, I mean, not really even hanging out, just driving up to Napa and tasting or driving up so to Sonoma and tasting. you'd come up from Stanford, you'd come up yeah. to Napa and Sonoma and... Yeah, drive up okay. for the weekend with a, with a friend or, you know, whoever there were some girlfriends, <laughs> you know, it's a so great this, place to go so with a girlfriend. This was, you know? like, this was like a major interest, major hobby. It was a major I mean, hobby. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is it, it probably wouldn't have become such a major hobby. It certainly wouldn't have become a career if I'd gotten a writing fellowship at Iowa or Michigan or Texas or any other school. I happened to get one in the Bay Area, which put me close to wineries. And, 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 that, and that time period was when things were busting loose around here. Oh, yeah. They really, really were. They it really was. Were. And, and what I found out, I actually found it out from a guy at KNL. There were a couple of salespeople that you know, mm-hmm. would tolerate, you know, some <laughs> random twenty-six-year-old with twenty bucks, you know. And and he's like, you know, you you can you can work bottlings for some of these small, really small wineries, and they'll they'll pay you in wine. And I and and, and I was like, oh, I don't need. I mean, I could use cash, but I'd really rather have wine that I right. can't afford. Right. So I used to. Um, Work, I worked bottlings a couple of times. This is mobile bottling truck yeah, yeah. stuff. And I worked bottlings a couple of times for a guy named Dwayne Cronin in the Santa Cruz Mountains who made... I know the name, yeah. Yeah, he made lovely, um, really lovely Chardonnay, Santa Cruz Mountain Chardonnay. Working in a bottling truck. Yeah. Or, or slapping or, or, or putting bottles into a box yeah. or, you know, you, or, you work all day. capsules on. And then you get paid in six bottles of wine. Yeah, but isn't bottling just when you work on the line, isn't it the most tedious thing in the world? It drives it's, you crazy. It's really tedious unless you only do it one day out of the month. Yeah, okay, there you go. And but then when it's you kind do of, like six days in a row on and, a run, let me tell you. Yeah, no, it's, then it's different. But I also worked, I came up and, and uh, helped, like did the same thing for Nils Fingy at oh, Saddleback. Okay. Um, so I have some old Saddlebacks sitting in my cellar still that I got paid in, you know. Well, that was his own winery. He started Villa Mount Eden yeah. years ago. Yeah. Great winemaker. And then he started his own it's label, Saddleback. Saddleback. Right? And okay. then now his son is is a pretty Kirk, sig- Kirk, you know, he's yeah, popular, Kirk very Fingy. well-respected consultant. I need to get him in here. I should get those both those guys in here. Nils has some amazing stories. Yeah, I know he does. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've heard him in a bar. Yeah, yeah. So, so and and as this is going on, I'm, I'm kind of like... I. I'm sort of got this, te- you know, the, the the academic teaching thing going on, and the and the wine thing going on, and the, and the more I start doing the wine thing, I'm, I start thinking I, I really like this world. Interesting. And okay. So what happened then was, I I basically forced myself on Clola Chance Winery, which is, at the time was up in the Santa Cruz Mountains in the old Saratoga Springs facility. Clola Chance. Um, you know, it's sort of like we don't we need an intern. Well, I'd really like to work for free. Right. 
And so I worked Harvest um, 97 and 98. Okay. Uh, as a... Um, just a grunt. A volunteer seller. Seller I mean, grunt, I was yeah. Like hosing, you know, hosing out everything that could be hosed out. Right. Scrubbing things, cleaning. And despite the fact... And, and you know, 97 was a, was a huge harvest. Um, that's, the, that's, <laughs> that's the year I rented tanker trucks and, yeah. and parked them here to use as tanks because yeah. I was out of tanks. Yeah. And, and, so, and the closed chance model was that the guy who founded it was a HP executive. Okay. And he had this idea that, um, which was a pretty smart idea, that there are all these, and it's probably still the case, there are all these Silicon Valley execs in the, up in the hills there who right. have these, have, might like a one acre vineyard in their backyard. Mm-hmm. And then he, he would help them plant it and then he would take the fruit and that would be, you know, what that would be some of the fruit that was coming into the closed chance pipeline. Okay. okay. And smart, which is, which is great, except in a year like 97, where there's just a super so abundance much. of fruit. So it's just like just this onslaught coming. of Pinot Noir. Right. So I did a lot of punching down in macro bins. Um, but I really loved it. I mean, it was, it was, I sort of moved my teaching schedule where I could work there full time during the harvest. And, and I kind of just fell in love with both, you know, I'd already kind of fallen in love with wine, but I fell right. in love with the, the the world of wine too. Just the people, the 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 whole, the whole thing. Um, you know, the smell of of oh, you know, fermentation, fermentation and, and, during and harvest is just and fantastic. It's, and it's as it turns out, I I now know it's a great education as a wine writer to work a couple of harvests because you learn so much so fast about just the the way aromas shift over over fermentation the way what what you know freshly crushed grapes smell like and then you smell it in the bottle and and what that transition you is know, I, just it's funny you funny you bring that up that it's, you because you had that experience it just makes you and someone that doesn't and they're writing about wine it's it's no no big deal but there's no way they can relate to it but since you've had that if you and I were tasting a wine something right. I made right and I'd say this and that and you're coming at because because you you have a feel for what goes into that yeah and it's, it's it's from from start to finish yeah which and I feel very lucky about that um you know I, I good it was really fortunate that, that I got that chance and I and I kind of did the I kind of did the internship one because I was curious but two I thought you know maybe I can write something about this I'll write or not you know I, I was writing pretty regularly for the Stanford alumni magazine. I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll do something with this. That's right. So meanwhile, you're still writing. Still writing. Is, is, yeah. Still are writing. You, are you publishing anything? Uh, published short stories and quarterlies here and okay. there. Um, I right. was working on a novel, which has not seen the light of day and will not see the light of day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's got it, you know, it has its points, but it, it structurally just was a mess. So, yeah. and I think looking back, I think I'm probably a journalist rather than a fiction writer. I mean, I love writing, but I like facts. I like learning new stuff. Right. Um, and I, and I was figuring out at the same time I was falling in love with the whole world of wine, that wine as a subject to write about is pretty cool because it's, it's not just, you know, tastes like blackberries and 93 points. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it involves cultural history. It involves economics. It involves agriculture. It involves, you know, um, you know, unique personalities. It involves really interesting personalities. It, you know, it's, it kind of covers, you know, it's, it's either art or artisanship. Um, it's, it covers kind of the whole world nexus of things you could write about. Um, you can come at it any direction you want. Yeah, you, it's and, true because I'd like to see more, yeah. That's part of the reason I do this. 
Yeah, I'm getting stories from people. I get now. Now I know. Now I, f- I find out where they came from and what they're doing, what their interests are, and it's like, oh, that's why they kind of do this one and they make wine and they do that. Yeah, and it's, I think it's, I think it's vital. I think that's you know, it's one of the problems I have with the sort of critical structure around wine, which is the 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 point score and the and the wine right. write up, is that it 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 eliminates the story behind the wine. It boils down to some adjectives and a point score, which, and the and the story and the people behind the wine is what I find, and the and story of the place is at least with real, you know, let's you know you, you can have manufactured wines that are an industrial product right. for sure, and right. it's like they're not that different from Coca Cola, um, but with with actual wine that comes from a place and is made by people. people and who have a who have some kind of vision, you know, that's a that's a big part of the wine for me. That's that's part of why it's exciting and interesting. And it's why it's like, I always I always feel like if you, you know, if you can, just as a consumer, if you can go to a region you love, you should go there because you'll, you'll understand the wine so much better just by walking around a few vineyards and talking to the people who live there, whether it's Napa or, or Piedmont mm-hmm. or, or, you know, Rioja or whatever. Wherever. So, so, so the wine bug's kicking you big time. So most people, when <laughs> yeah. they get the wine bug, you know, they go to Fresno State or UC right. Davis and get a you know seller job yep. or, or, you know, and, and start, you know, making well, wine. But, yeah. but you didn't I do didn't, that. You no. didn't do that. I thought I was going to move to Napa or Sonoma and okay. work for a winery and maybe in, in some kind of, you know, marketing mm-hmm. context or whatever. Right. I, did, I didn't have the, the science. I didn't think I had the scientific background to do. I mean, I, I, I would have had to have. You know, gone to UC Davis and done a lot of like right. backup work in, in chemistry and biology mm-hmm. and so on. But what weirdly what happened was I met my now wife um, at a, her cousin married my cousin basically. Oh, okay. Got set up at the rehearsal dinner. <laughs> We're sitting next to each other. It's like, you're single? You're single? Uh, okay. Rehearsal. A wedding setup. <laughs> it was Good a total wedding you. setup and it worked. <clears throat> and, and they aren't even married anymore, but we're still together. <laughs> so, um, but, but she was in New York. When was this? What year? This was, this was 90, um, 98. 98. So you were, you were still well, not, in St- Well, we met in 97. But so, you were, so you yeah. were still in Stanford, but working up, working still in wine, Stanford, working at working wine stuff, right. thinking I'm going to move up to Napa, Sonoma. I meet this girl. Um, she lives where? She lives in New York. Okay. She has a great job in New York. She does not see necessarily the wisdom behind leaving her great job in New York to move to California to a guy who, with a guy who wants to be in the wine business and who isn't even necessarily saying, let's get married. Just, Just like, kind of like, be cool if you're here and I don't have a job. Because um, I'd kind of decided at that point I wasn't going to pursue teaching anymore. Okay. I didn't, I didn't, the whole sort of pursuing tenure track right. academic job, one, it was going to take me out of wine. Um, okay. And two, it was going to realistically in academia, Stanford doesn't hire from within. So I was going to be in Duluth or God knows sure. where working, yeah. trying to get work my way up the ladder. And I just thought, I, I don't want to be in that world. I want to be in the wine world. Okay. But so I met her and then we, we were going out for a little while. I was very excited about it because I sure. fell in love with her. And, um, and in a weird series of meeting people, a friend of mine who was, um, in the Stanford writing program had another friend at it. At, it ended up with me being at a dinner party with um, a guy named Peter Scott who okay. um, worked for premium port wines, which is the Dows and Grams, the Symington family out of New York. Yeah. And we were okay. chatting and he's like, you know, I, I said something about getting in the wine business and said something about having, you know, trying to figure out what I was doing. Cause my girlfriend was in New York and he's like, we actually have a, a, a you know, we have a supplier rep job open in 
in New York, the New York sort of northeastern area. Mm -hmm. We've been looking for someone who has an educational background who really likes port. And I'm like, this is like a setup because <laughs> I because I, I actually love port and okay. and I, I was voluntarily drinking port at the time um, and I had an educational background because they wanted someone who could explain this stuff to account people. That's true because when we pour a port, people are like, huh? What yeah. is this? Yeah, yeah, what is this? And right. when you get into the nuances of of tawny versus versus ruby versus vintage versus late, late bottle, bottle vintage, vintage it's right. gonna, and so. Essentially, I applied for the job and they hired me. And I was like, I guess I'm going to New York to sell port. <laughs> so boom. So, so, boom. You're all, so you're from California back to New York. You're how old? I am 20. at that point. I'm what? So it's 35, yeah. 34. You so know, it's 99. Yeah, 90. Like it was, I got there and I mean, I started working for PPW in 98. Okay. So and zero sales experience. Oh my gosh. You know, I mean, like literally zero and. Fair amount of port drinking experience, tons of educational experience, and and not much New York experience, and so um, it was it was educational. <laughs> and selling port in the summer, selling port in the summer, selling port in the winter, selling and it and port, you know, the the I now know, you know, this we would, you know, you'd walk in, you'd meet and count, they take they buy like you know four bottles of six grams and you uh, six grapes and you'd be like yes nailed it <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd talk to someone who was selling pina grigia they're like yeah i sold 50 cases 50 to the guy <laughs> oh. kind of like this is an odd situation <laughs> wow but it was it, it it was also again incredibly helpful one because and, and going back to what you know helps as a later on as a full-time wine writer working in the business of wine is really helpful it it I think it's easy to forget as a writer that the stuff has to actually be sold to people. It's a business. It's a, it's, it, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And you can make an amazing wine. And if you can't sell it to people, you're going to go out of business. You're not making wine again. You're not going to make wine again. Yeah. And you learn about, you know, how wine is priced and why some wines sell and why some wines don't and how that whole structure of the three tier system works and, and everything. And it was, I mean, sales is tough. I have, I have massive respect for people who are good yeah. at sales. I was not particularly good at sales. I can talk and I'm, I'm relatively friendly, but I'm not a, like a shark. Closing a sale. I'm just blown away because I've traveled with a lot of people yeah. you know, in, in sales calls. And yeah. I, I don't know how they do it, but all of a sudden at the end of the at the end of this you know session with the wine buyer, I'm sitting there you know doing the Doug Schaefer yeah. thing, and this whoever the rep is says you know says well you know can I put you down for three cases? And it's like I'm like oh, wow how do you do that? And then the guy says sure. Yeah. I'm like oh, wow, <laughs> wow how do you do that? Yeah, <laughs> and 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 you're like that's that's wild. And it's and and the guys who are, or gals who are really good salespeople, it, that's a both a personality and a talent. Yeah. I mean it it's a it's funny in the in the magazine world where I am now. We've got the edit, editing side and the sales mm -hmm. side, and the edit side is um, basically if you if you're at a party, the salespeople are the fun people, but they're also kind of the dangerous people. <laughs> <laughs> so That's, the editors are great to talk, but they're calmer. You know, <laughs> they're calmer and they kind of keep the the, the ship on an even yeah. keel. Good but, good point. Yeah. But you know, I love that hearing your story because you've got this. You know interest in wine and then you've got some you know experience with production which gives you that and now you've got experience with the business of selling and yeah kind of this background it's all leading to where you know where you're going to keep going here but it's kind of yeah kind of cool well it was i mean at the time I, I i still didn't have any real clue how i was going to get the writing and the wine to to right to merge and i was you know i, I mean sales was fascinating i mean i remember working with like 
you know, the, the Italian account guy, you've probably worked with the same guy for, for Wineboat yeah. in, in deep Brooklyn. And, you know, right. you'd show up at these, you know, in Bensonhurst and so on, you show up, you count, you'd have an espresso and, you know, he'd, yeah. he'd talk to the guy in Italian, sell some wine, you know, you show up at the next account, have an espresso, sell some wine, <laughs> next account, have an espresso, sell some wine. You know, we called on one sports, what, what do you got? Like a sports club, like a yeah. bar with some TVs with yeah, Italian soccer. Sports bar. And sports, well, not even a sports bar, more like a sporting club, an Italian it. sporting okay. club, you know, and it, and the, he talks to the guy and, and, and it's like literally like there's two old guys sitting on stools and, <laughs> And one, you know, smoking cigars, despite the fact it's illegal at this point, smoke cigars. Yeah. And we do like three espressos. And he's like, you know, he'll take um, 13 cases of vintage port. And I'm like, <laughs> to, to, who, who takes 13 to, cases to of vintage, vintage port? port? And this is a place that like maybe sells one Moretti a day. And, he, and I said, well, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. And I said, well, what does he need with 13 cases? He's like, don't ask. <laughs> oh, wow. So, wow. It's like, it's just, okay. okay. And have an espresso. And by the end of the day, you've had like 19 espressos and your, yeah. your, your brains are about to explode. But, um, it was a fascinating education, but what eventually what happened was I wrote something. I mean, I'd written some wine pieces for Stanford alumni magazine. Okay. Um, and, um, first thing I ever published about wine was for Stanford alumni magazine about Stanford alums in the wine business. Perfect. There you go. Yeah. But I wrote, it actually wasn't even a wine story. I wrote a profile piece about an author, um, uh, Larry McMurtry. And Josh Green is not a Stanford alum, but he had someone on staff who was, in, I think, in the West Coast office. And they read this story. And it, my bio said, Rayal works in wine in, in New York City New York for City. Wine Important in New York City. And he actually, I think he reached out to me just to find out who I was because he liked, because he li really liked the profile. And, and this, this is Josh Green who founded, who founded wine, wine, wine Spirits, Spirits. Mag yeah. Wine Spirits Magazine. And okay. we met up, um, I met up with him and with Tara Thomas, who's still his sort of oh, yeah. right-hand person. Tara. And we just got along really well. Uh, originally I was talking to him about doing freelance stuff and, and it pretty quickly turned into a editorial job offer. And, wow. and which was, exactly what I wanted to do, you know, to was to, to combine the writing and the wine into one job. So I'm, I'm kind of forever grateful to Josh. Thank you, Josh, you know, yeah. for that. So you walk, so you walked away from selling port, walked away from selling port to, to writing full-time about wine, writing and editing full-time about wine. The, what was going along, along with this was, you know, the thing about being in the business is, you know, when I was selling port, I was also going to trade tastings and so on. And, and even though I was, my portfolio was, Port, Port and Madeira, I should right. add, Madeira was in there. Right. But when you go to like the wine boat harvest tasting, you can taste 150, 200, 2000 different wines. From all over the world. So I was tasting everything I could possibly taste. And okay. then when I went to Wine and Spirits, because Wine and Spirits scores wines, you know, all of the spectator and enthusiast, we would do, you know, we would do tastings for, for the, you know, critical part of the magazine and you would do 40 McLaren Vale Shirazes in the morning. And you do 40 McLaren Vale Shirazes in the afternoon. I was going to ask you about that because yeah. I bet you you were like in just heaven because all of a sudden you get to taste all these different wines. Yeah. And it's, it's, that wow. was like graduate school education in wine. I didn't, I didn't ever do any of the MW or MS sure. or any of that stuff because I, did, I kind of didn't need to because I learned so much at Wine and Spirits so fast. Because um, Josh is just a, you know, he, it, he's a wealth of knowledge. He's a wealth of knowledge. He's a great taster. And, and that, and we were blind tasting. So, you know, you, you, 
you do Australian, you know, Milkernville Cabernet, then mm-hmm. you do Australian, whatever issue it would be, then, then you know, Australian Barossa Cabernet, then Australian, Western Australia Cabernet, then the next week you'd be doing Chianti and you do, you know, Chianti Classico, Chianti Rufina, you know, and it, so it was this ongoing immersion in, in the character of wines from certain places and also in what was good and what was not good. Mm-hmm. And because you're doing it blind, you are sort of learning that what should be good is not always what's mm-hmm. good. And vice mm-hmm. versa, so that was a blast. I mean, I I, I loved being. I was at Wine and Spirits for five years, and I, I became Josh's number two um, person pretty quickly. Um, so you're writing, you're writing wine articles, writing wine articles, reviewing wines. I was the critic for Iberia, um, okay. uh, for the Spanish and and Spanish wines primarily. Mm-hmm. I was writing, I was writing articles about a bunch of regions. I was editing a lot of the content. So, okay. And, um, but the, the hitch was that Josh owns the magazine and, and there was nowhere to go eventually. It was like, you know, yeah. Uh, the only place up was, jo- was, 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 was owning the magazine yeah. and Josh owned the magazine. So that wasn't going to change. And so it sort of, I had to, I, I was, I had started doing a little bit of freelance writing for food and wine um, and, uh, they offered me, they kind of wanted to expand their wine coverage. And so I talked to them and I, and I left wine and spirits for food and wine. Okay. Which, and that was in 2005. Five. And it. then, which, which Josh was probably suitably annoyed by, but that's what happens with well, employees. You know, that's what happens. And it, we're, it, we're pals now. I mean, yeah. you know, we, they, we got over that pretty quickly. And so I moved to food and wine and I've been at food and wine literally it's ever since, which is kind of mind blowing. 14 years. Yeah. Yeah. Soon to be 15. Soon be fifteen. Um, which in the media world right now is is weird. This people don't last in well some magazines don't last, first off, and then you know, there tends to be a lot of turnover, but I've um I've been very fortunate to have a couple of great, you know, editor in chiefs of So you started at Food and Wine O five, so you were just like uh, what was your what was your first job there? Just I was the writing. senior senior wine editor. Okay. I mean Letty T was still there, so Letty I was you know, Letty was technically my boss. Dana was, Dana Cowan was everybody's right, Dana, boss. Right. Basically, Dana ran the whole place. Yeah. Letty was still there. I was, so I, there were, I mean, this time of more staffing in the wine, mm-hmm. in, the, in the magazine mm-hmm. world, um, more robust budgets. But and then Letty left in 2008, okay. I guess, or 2009, one of the two. And then I just took over being the, the head wine person. Um, and so you run the whole wine department. Are you involved in the food at I all? I run the whole wine department, which is a wine department of me and an intern at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Are you involved in the food and stuff or not? Or yeah. You know, the thing about food and wine is that, that um, I'm not involved in actual recipe development, but the idea generation of stories, you can't extricate food from wine in some sense. You mm-hmm. know, most of the stories have some kind of food aspect as well. I do straight, I do, my column is kind of a straight wine recommendation right. column, but most features that I do have are either tied to, you know, whether it's, you know, a Christmas feast in, you know, in, in Emilia Romana or whether it's, um, you know, a winemaker who's also a chef or whether it's, you know, just, you know, it can, it, food can play in, in all sorts of ways, but, I mean, the name of the magazine is Food and Wine. Exactly. So, so there's a lot of, of trying to incorporate the two together. Um, yeah, I want to go in. I want to go back to something you yeah. kind of touched on a minute ago because right about the time you started Food and Wine, 2005, we were talking here the other day. It seems like 
you know, because we knew you were coming in. Right. And back, you know, back in before 05 or so, you know, newspapers had, you know, yep. you know, weekly columns or two or three a week. And, and all of a sudden bloggers came on the scene, budgets got slashed, yep. you know, you know, to making a living as a wine writer, I think was really, really tough. Or, it's, and it, I think, and, and, is it, and is it still? It I is mean, extremely tough. I mean, I think. What's your take on that? I mean, as I said, I've been very fortunate to have a home, a right. home for fifteen years. This is more of a media question than a than a wine question in a right. way. So right. there's been, what well, kind of what's happened is there's been a, a shrink. You know, print media has shrunk down. Like mm-hmm. newspapers are revenue is small. Right. You know, they've cut up. Like you said, they, they used to have every newspaper used to have a, a weekly wine columnist. That doesn't exist anymore. Right. I mean, the Chronicle has. Just one, on, yeah, on the times, weekend, yeah. you know, maybe a few others around the country, but, but newspapers have cut a lot of stuff. Um, print magazines are smaller than they used to be, though they're more robust than people give them credit for. Mm-hmm. Digital media is grown enormously, but the, the problem as a writer is that writing for online does not pay nearly as much as writing for print. Okay, and and so so trying to make a living as a wine writer right now is is tough because you're the, the, what you're getting paid per story, most of which is going to be digital is, is hard to make a living on, Hmm. you know, and it's, and it's a shift of the, of the kind of economics of the whole content creation world, let's say. Um, And it's still possible, you know, but it's a, it's harder. It's both harder and easier than when, than when I got into it. I mean, I I got in at a really good time in Mm -hmm. that, the interest in wine in the U.S. has gone way up. Right. I mean, you know, just compared to like '95, let's say when I, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when I first started getting really getting into wine in California, yeah. I think the number of people now who are conversant with wine and really interested in wine and want to read it and get information about it is massively bigger. Yes. But the and but this and then this goes for not just wine writing but name your kind of writing on a on a topic the venues for publishing your work um that pay well have have shrunk dramatically mm-hmm. there's still plenty of places you can you can publish online but you know it ranges anywhere from you will get you exposure by publishing with us online you know right, kind of like well yeah. thanks yeah that's great does the you know <laughs> does the janitor who cleans the room get exposure no he gets a paycheck so i'm a writer give me a paycheck me too a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know it's like <laughs> come on man yeah. um and the, but even even you know pretty established digital places pay less than what was the going rate for print and so it becomes as a freelancer particularly it's, it's just it's a tough time there's it, there's a lot of interesting content but there's not a lot of pay for the content yeah and so, uh, I mean, writing and journalism have never been an easy way to make a living, but it's, uh, I think it's tougher now than it ever has been. On the other hand, wine, I, I do think is, I mean, even if, you know, sales have dipped a little in the past year, I think the U.S. interest in wine. It's still a good interest. It's still a good so interest. I mean, totally separate thing for people like you is that there's been this massive proliferation of wines in the market yeah. that is I mean, the, the, yeah, and, and how much, who you're competing against is like thousands of different brands. So there's lots to write about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's great as a writer. It's really not good as someone who's trying to sell a bottle of Merlot, you know? Um, so besides food and wine and travel right. and leisure, you've done lots of other things. Um, you've done some CN, the CNN blog yep. and, uh, oh, Hey, I got to ask you about this. Cause I did see a couple of these shows. 
the, you did this thing with William Shatner. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Tell me about it. You got to describe to everybody what this was. It's yeah, called so, Brown Bag Wine Tasting with William, Shatner, with William Shatner, which Shatner. is the Star Trek guy. Yeah. So tell me about this one. Well, so William Shatner turns out really likes wine. Okay. Um, he <laughs> he created this online video series called Brown Bag Wine Taster, where he would bring wine in a brown bag right. either to a studio or to a restaurant or grocery store, and he'd taste it with random celebrities and and whatnot and i i can't remember if they his people got in touch with me or i got in touch with them but i grew up watching star trek sure and, and it's like i mean literally he's room shatter is captain kirk yeah. you know come on that's and so this opportunity came up and just the prospect of being on camera with william shatter was oh man so you gotta go you know it's like i couldn't say no oh, yeah. um and he's a he's an odd dude um, you yeah. know he's he, and he you know he knows what he likes in terms of wine. He's not a he's not a wine geek. He's not a like talk about the soil depth right. or anything like that. And and so it's it's somewhat like this, two yeah. people sitting in front of a microphone but then talking about the wine and 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 Captain Kirk quizzing you, you know, but for my mind, as I know he's Bill Shatner, but it's like it feels to me like Captain Kirk is quizzing me about what I like about this wine, which so, so, it's, so it's, a blind, it's a brown bag. It's a blind tasting. It's a blind he, tasting. He pour, does he know what it is? He knows what it is. Yeah. And he's like, he pours your glass and then, yeah. he, and then he runs you through the paces. Yeah. But it's not, it's not, but thankfully it's not trying to identify it. It's just like, oh, do you like goodness. it? What do you yeah. like about it? Yeah. And he wants you to use a metaphor to like describe what you like. Is it like a horse running through a field or is it like being slammed with a rock or whatever, you know? <laughs> and, it, and we shot it in some random restaurant in LA somewhere. It was a, it was an unusual <laughs> experience but How i wouldn't fun. give it up i mean How fun oh i would you know, love that, that yeah i mean great. if my 12 year old self could have seen me like being yeah. on camera with him shatner his brains would have exploded so that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah so, well good yeah. um and what you've done a lot of television yeah stanley tucci pbs cnbc's on the money squawk box and yep. the today, today show, show. a lot big. of today show particularly with the fourth hour with i mean kathy lee just just retired basically right. but with kathy lee and hoda which uh, is a blast. I mean, it's it's not. Um, I mean, today's show is is daytime TV. The, right. It's not in depth wine content. It's more fun wine content. Yeah, and, it's, it's got. A, and they don't give you a lot of time, right? What's the? Is it no, like it's about three and, a, three and a half minutes is your average segment. Three and a half minutes to get through five wines. Let's say. Oh come on! With two hosts who are talking the whole time, also, and you learn. <laughs> a, you learn. You eventually <laughs> first you panic and yeah. this is also keep in mind with today's show you're talking is also live tv in front of about six million people oh, so there's man. no redos yeah um uh i was very glad that i'd done theater in college because at least i knew how to kind of like talk in front of an audience and teaching actually helped with that too right but you eventually internalize you internalize a clock so you kind of have a sense of of your of the pace of the segment you talk fast you talk in sound bites you know, um, it's like, you know, this Schaefer wine, you know, Hillside Select is one of the greatest sought after Cabernets in California from this one tiny plot of perfect Boom, vines, just, you know, in Stag's Leap bullet, District. Bullet points. And just, uh, try it. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? You know, and they are like, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, you know, I, I think, you know, it's great wine. Is How much does it cost? Two hundred. $75 right. and they're like, Oh my God. And, and then you like, on the other hand, let's try a Prosecco. <laughs> so, and it really does move you through that quickly. And it's, um, is it fun? That's a blast. Yeah. I, 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 I'm a ham. I love, you know, being in front of an audience and it's, it's exciting. It, you, I mean, 
people are wired differently as we know um, yeah. there are there are unquestionably editors i work with who would rather be shot than be put in front of t- a tv camera understood and then there are editors like me who are like oh cool where's the tv camera can where the I, lights, can where I, the lights? go towards the lights you know <laughs> to burn myself up in front of them but it is a blast it's you know it's it's a it's an adrenaline rush it's actually you you do slump after you do a segment it's like you kind of like <sighs> okay. interesting wow yeah. and um and i got a lot i mean it, it really comes down to whether the host like working with you or not. And Kathy Lee liked me for whatever reason. And so hey, you're they, a nice guy. I'm a nice come guy. On, yeah, you know, there's some people she didn't like, they didn't come back on the show, but, <laughs> but, but so they started, they booked me pretty regularly and have done for That's a long great. time. I That's don't know. Fun. I don't know quite what's going to happen with that hour now that she's off. Cause she was, the wine thing was, some, it was sort of something she came up with. She okay. was, she was into wine. She has her own wine out of uh, central coast. And, but, I mean, she loves wine. She's actually got a surprisingly good palate. I was on there on one segment. That's the one time I actually like lost my kind of ability to know what I was going to say because I I was they were blind tasting. It was like let's do a blind tasting segment, (laughs) and so they came out with like you know big pink um, fuzzy blindfolds and so on. And and I one of the wines I poured was was Domaine Ott um, Rosé, and I and I you know they, they picked up the glass and Kathy smelled it and she's like. You know, this smells like domain odd. And I was like, oh, she just and, nailed and, it. Yeah, she nailed it because it's, it's, it was, you know, she she spent time in the Hamptons. It was the sure. wine in the Hamptons at the time. But even so, I mean, I really like was dumbstruck for about 10 yeah. seconds where it's like, you she just blind it. tasted that wine. She threw you. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty but cool. She, she's, you know, people would be surprised. She's got a very good palate. Well, Thanks for sharing that. It's yeah. kind of fun. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. A, I know it's I don't curious know what you because do with it, you know, when, you, when you're watching TV, it's like what's yeah. going on behind the scenes. But um, what, you know, I don't see really any in-depth wine shows. Is wine and TV, does, does wine well, TV not work? What would work it, with wine and TV, yeah. you think? It's it's a question I've I've thought a lot about and I don't have an answer for. Huh, and the, okay. and, the, and there, there haven't been a lot of good, in, in fact, all, almost no in-depth wine shows that are good. The Psalm movies have been hit or miss. I mean, good. Yeah, I think Jason's a good director. I think right. the structure of the first one's a classic structure where you've got, it's like, you know, there's a, I forget the high school basketball one's the same thing where he's got five guys struggling for something right. and one of two of them are going to make it. One's yeah. not. It's, it's like, if you can get a narrative structure like that, you could propel the movie along, whether it's about some, you know, blind right. tasting his Psalms and trying to get MS or spelling bees or, you know, but, the baseline problem with TV and wine is that TV is a visual medium. It's, right. it's not a verbal medium. It's and and wine. The basic actions with wine are you pick up a glass, you maybe swirl it, and you sip it, and that's yeah. that's just not that interesting. And it's either red or it's white. It's red or it's white, or and pink. you can talk about it then. But it's it's you know compared to a cooking show where you've got people running around and knives you, and fire you got knives you got knives and you've got fire fire yeah and you've got you know and all this yeah, and the fire's bigger you got the you know something's uh you know you're grilling something yeah and there's and, there's, and, there, and there's innately time issues and wine is not time driven it's slow it's you know this was like the quote you know this is i and i can't take credit for it but it's like the original slow food it's you know wine's on a different I've never just heard a different that quote. schedule. That's than, a great quote. Yeah, and it's on a different schedule than 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 food is. I mean, not that agriculture, but then cooking. So, so the tricky thing with TV is it's like it's a visual medium. It's you a have visual. to capture attention. 
with, so you've got two things with wine. You can do an in-studio show where you've got people sitting around swirling glasses and talking. Oh, boy, that sounds yeah, boring. That sounds boring. <laughs> or you can do an on, on-site thing where you've got lots of panning shots of vineyards and, and so on. But the problem is that no matter how beautiful a wine region is, vineyards all eventually start to look the same on TV. And barrels look the same. And and barrels look the same. Look the same and tanks and definitely look the same. <laughs> and hoses like, look the same. You know. Yeah, it's kind of boring. Yeah. As, as a wine writer, I tell you, every wine writer sort of dreads the, let's go see the tanks, you know. <laughs> oh, well, the, we stopped doing it because, you know, we used, to, we used to give tours, you know, to our, and we finally started doing some questionnaires and, and people said, hey, we just want to taste the wine. We've seen barrels. We've seen yeah. tanks. I'm like, good, I'm with you. But, yeah. you know, every once in a like, while there's one or two that want like, to, so we uh, take you know, over. One, two thousand Allen stainless steel tank really looks a lot like the next one. <laughs> so they do, but I'm, so I'm still trying to figure out what the, there's an answer out there. There's a great wine show out there somewhere that has yet to be done. And I, and I, I still can't quite nail it. I did this show with Stanley Tucci for hmm. one season, which yeah. foundered on the, the, it was actually would likely have been renewed except the producers were the financial aspects of it were all a total mess but what was it what was it what'd you guys do we basically he was the host and i was the wine host and it was it was almost like a get some celebrities and a chef together and and have a um dinner party okay. with wine and we talk a little bit we'd have them blind taste wines and rate their favorites but it was also about like what broadway show you were doing right now and what the chef's restaurant was opening so it was kind of a chat show with blind with like blind do you love it do you hate it wine stuff and talk yeah. about the wines and it, it i think if it had gone for another season and been refined to some degree it, you know, people that's one way you get around the problem of people like not doing nothing but swirling and and talking is well, you get celebrities and you people got, watch celebrities you got, people, you got people telling stories yeah yeah you got people Which, telling stories and they're people that innately other people want to watch i mean you know we had julianne moore on the show yeah i mean I'll yeah. watch Julianne Moore. I mean, she's she's gorgeous and mm-hmm. she's been interesting and funny, right. you know. Um, so we had this whole range of people, mostly people that Stanley had brought in, and it was a blast doing it. It just it just it just foundered on financial issues, you know. All right, so. well let's let's you know we'll get together off mic here and brainstorm some ideas. Well, let's do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good reason to drink a bottle of Cabernet together. Yeah, I'm with you. It would be fun to see if what would work. Yeah, but it's it's a challenge, isn't it? It is visual. It, but like I said, there's 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 a great idea out there somewhere. It may yeah. not be me who comes up with it, but there is a great TV wine TV show to be done. We'll do it together, you and me. Yeah, It'll be our next gig. Um, so almost 20, well, 20 years writing about wine, yeah. wine and food for you. Um, I'm, I was thinking about you the other day, you got the old, you know, what do you pair with Turkey? Uh, what are you going to do for <laughs> Easter? You know, it's Mother's Day. It's Father's Day, the top 10 wines for Christmas. How do you, how do you stay engaged and challenged when you still got to deal with some um, of those things? Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, the service you know, the journalism kind of falls into service stories and, and, and longer, more interesting stories and the the service stuff, you know, yeah. I mean, what wine goes with Turkey? I don't think I'm doing that one again. (laughs) (laughs) Then you do the, I mean, Thanksgiving is the classic. It's like, what wine goes with Turkey? Then you do this column that's, you know, well, in fact, ignore the Turkey because Turkey doesn't have any flavor. You got to pair it with all the sides. And then you do the one where it's like, well, you can't actually pair anything because you've got so many different flavors. So go with the wine that pairs with everything. And then you do the, you know, well, actually you should have cider because cider is the original beverage of the Americas, you know, and, and I've done all of these, you've done them all. <laughs> you know, and, and eventually you just go like, I don't know, man, open a bottle of wine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> just, just, just grab one. But, um, the thing that keeps me going through the, 
the, the service stuff is that it's still exciting to find new wines. Okay. So, and the, the research for those service stories is tasting a lot and calling okay. in, calling in samples or, or going to tastings or whatever. And, you know, it's still pretty cool to find, I actually particularly like finding affordable wines, you know, because sure. it's really great when you find something, whether it's, whether it's 15 bucks or 35 bucks that wildly outperforms its, it's, its, its category. Price point, yeah. And, and I think it helps me not having grown up either wildly wealthy or as a wine drinker, I still kind of come at it a little bit as a, as my former self of mm-hmm. like, you know, what, what's, you know, this is, let me find something I can actually afford. That's really great. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's finding a 200 buck wine. That's good. Is not that hard. You know, you, it, there are some that are better and some that are worse, but you know, the number of really God awful 200 buck wines is pretty low, mm-hmm. but it's, it is really interesting to taste through 20 bucks Chardonnays. And yeah. once in a while you get one, you're like, damn, that's really good. And then you get, if you get enough for a column, that's pretty cool. And it also, I, I do think it's helpful to readers. Like people really do want to know what to buy. And there's a lot to buy out there. Yeah. And it's daunting. And it, and there's there's no question in my mind that most of our readers and most people who are not, who are the average American wine buyer walk into a store and look at a shelf of wines and are like, I have no idea, man. Well, no, <laughs> no, I'm with you. you yeah, know. It happens to me. I mean, that's, that's your service. Yeah. That's, you, I mean, that's part, of the, part of the gig for you guys. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it, particularly with categories like Chardonnay, for instance, you yeah. know, uh, and, and I, I use this analogy when I, some story or, or maybe it was a class, but you know, it's a little bit like if you went into a store and there were 200, like a total wine and instead it was total food and you went in and there were 200 kinds of chicken soup and they ranged from like four ninety nine a can to $179 a can. And there were, there were 200 different brands too. And, and you would look at that wall of chicken soup and you'd be like, what? This is insane. <laughs> and, and I just want some good chicken soup to drink or eat or whatever. Yeah. And that's like looking at a wall of Chardonnay. And, you know, yeah, that's a great analogy. And, I'm going to use that one. And it's one reason why people love points scores because it, it, it it's, it's really is. And it's not an it's not a non-valid shortcut. You know, I mean, I, I think consumers need some help with this mm-hmm. whole thing. I mean, I I always say first first plan of attack if you're buy, a consumer buying wine is find a good wine store with people who actually know something and will talk to you and, and so right. on. It's much right. pay the extra buck, you know. That's that's how I got my basic first education in wine was going to KNL and talking to guys and it was great, you know. I'd say I got, you know, last last time I was here I tried this whatever Zinfandel and he'd be like, Well, why don't you try this from you know exactly. um, from Southern yeah. Italy and see what you think? And that's yeah. that kind of even baseline advice that goes a long way, but um, I forget, I can't actually remember where I where we started with this question. <laughs> no, no, it was. I can't either. No, but it, no, it's um, um, staying. Well, no, doing staying engaged and yeah. you know from this. That's, yeah, that, that's what we're so, talking about. So that yeah, so the service stuff. It's and it's always you know there's sometimes it's you know biodynamics starts coming up mm-hmm. as a topic, so you start tasting a bunch of biodynamic wines to do that. You know? Sure. Natural wine. Um, well, that's the, but you just nailed it. Part of your job's got to be trends, spotting yeah, trends. Absolutely. How do you do that? Um, talking to people. Talking. I mean, and reading everything you can, and going to tastings. I mean, it's you know, talk to sommeliers. They're they're, yeah, they're very on trend. Um, yeah, that's the trick is sorting out real trends from little 
Flips. Flips. Yeah. Natural wine, for instance, I think is a re- is a real and lasting trend. Mm-hmm. Whether whether you like the wines or don't like the wines, there's n- I, that category is not going away, and mm-hmm. I suspect it's only going to grow. Yeah, I'd agree. Whereas, you know, not to pick on Canary Islands, but Canary Islands wines were a, a, a sort of momentary flurry of interest in the New York Psalm world. There's just not not that much wine from the Canary Islands. Some of it's wonderful, but it's not going to be a major national trend in wine because only a thousand cases come into the U.S. Yeah. You know, so you kind of sort sort these things out. Got but it. but also you know when you, as a writer, let's say, you know, start talking to a psalm, they're like, I'm super into the Canary Islands right now. You think, well, talk to another psalm, they're like, I'm really into Santorini, and you start thinking, well, what about some kind of column of volcanic island wines? There you, you go. Know? And you suddenly then you're looking at course, you know. What you know, Canary Islands, um, Santorini, Corsica, you know, Sicily, Mount Etna, you know, and then it starts to be coalesce into a service, a really good yeah. column. Column. Then there's the ten buck wines for grilling, which yeah, which is another one, <laughs> which is another one, and people really want to know what ten buck wines are grilling, you know. <laughs> so, are you you traveling a lot for the job? I travel a fair amount. Yeah, I yeah. travel. I travel. Well, I'm out here this weekend, for instance, for this food and wine best right. of chef reunion weekend, which is a. Uh, series of consumer dinners and so on, which I, that's one thing I travel for is events. Okay. So like our food, our class, the food and wine classic in Aspen, I'm there every year, Pebble Beach yeah, food we, and wine. Yeah. I want to talk about that. You've yeah. asked food and wine has been doing the Aspen festival in June for how many years? Of 30, 30, uh, 35, 40. Well, God, so that's a, gotta yeah. be, well, that's, we're, we're 42 years old. So it, yeah, yeah. A long time. And that's a, it's a wonderful, describe that event for some so, folks. I might so not that know event, about. so the food and wine classic in Aspen is kind of the granddaddy of the, of the wine and food festivals mm-hmm. in the U S it started, you know, I should know, but I don't say 37 years ago, right. 34 years ago, it was originally 500 people, Julia child among them gathering in Aspen to, to, do some cooking demos and so on. It's now 5,000 people. We take over the entire town. It's a weekend of wine tastings, cooking demos, wine party se- wine up on top of the mountains, wine parties. seminars. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's great. I mean, Aspen in June is spectacularly beautiful. It's, it's a walk, it's a walking town and the, the level of chefs we get in is astonishing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it is, a great lineup of chefs usually doing, doing demos and doing interviews and things. And then, um, the wine seminars, we do 20, uh, 20, 22 different wine seminars. Wow. Um, and are you in charge of all that? I'm kind of, I'm co in charge of it with, it. with the, our, our person on our marketing side who, who does all the logistics for the, okay. for the thing. And then, um, and that involves, so we, we bring in outside speakers, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, any, Typically not winemakers. It's typically other journalists or or sommeliers who who talk about topics. It can be in really anything from you know super rosés for the summertime to a deep dive into grower champagne to you know the up and coming Napa superstars. You know and and people. I mean, it's great. People love it, and it's and it's it's a a kind of idyllic weekend in the mountains. It, saturated with food and with wine. Yeah. So what happens with Aspen is there's, it's a, it's a, it's a consumer event, mm-hmm. but because of the nature of the event, there are a lot of winemakers in town because they're, we have a grand tasting tent. There are right. several hundred wineries in the grand tasting tent that draws a lot of account and trade people. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's a, there's a kind of connected event or overlapping event, which is the Amex trade program in Aspen, which is okay. uh, in, in vital uh, only thing for restaurateurs. 
I created a sort of secondary event with an event Aspen called Psalm Talks, which is a uh, again invite only series of sort of higher end, um, like let's take a deep dive into Grand Cru Chablis and do fifteen Chablis, you wow. know, three different vintages from five different producers. So that's the sommelier event that's also in there. So it's 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 both a consumer event and a trade event. I mean, it's really a consumer event, but there's so many trade people and so many winemakers and wine buyers and sommeliers and so on that it, that it's it's kind of two worlds over, overlapping. Which is um, which is fun. Oh, it's amazing! It's a great event. You yeah, know, I haven't been in a few years, but I used to go. I used to be on panels with yeah. you know, Danny Meyer. I think one time we wanted to, what what wine goes best with bacon? You know, he yes. did great fun <laughs> things, kind of fun and loony things, but they were really cool. Well, they're really, really cool, fascinating. and they're and you can do a lot with a basic. T- I mean, I I do a t- I haven't done an aspen, but I do a, a potato chip and wine tasting because uh-huh. because uh-huh. with kettle chips is what I've done it with in the past. Yeah. But if you get the the basic kettle chips and then you get the salt and pepper ones which are pe- pepper on them right. and then you get barbecue which is sweet and you get the vinegar and whatever which right. is sour those chips actually work as a really great baseline what flavors do to your palate and how they affect wine thing but it's really fun at the it's same fun, time but at yeah. the same time it's like oh this makes sense yeah so if people wanted it because some folks might not know about the aspen festival yeah. how, how can they sign up um Go to foodandwine.com okay. um, and, or, or actually just Google, you know, food and wine, food, a classic in Aspen. That's, yeah, that's the, okay. and it'll, 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 I mean, Google's like that. It'll just pull it right it'll, up. It'll yeah. find you. And it's always in June. It's uh, it's the third weekend in June, I think. So it's, it's father, same weekend as Father's, Father's Day. Day. And it's Thursday through Sunday, you know, Thursday night through Sunday morning. Great. And, um, and tickets go on sale. I think they go on sale in... January? Yeah, I think we're um, after and it, and it does sell out, yeah. but it's but it is a blast. It's like, a it's a great experience. Yeah, yeah. and Aspen in June is camp. Aspen it. in June. I mean, I always build in a couple of days to go hiking. You know, on either side. Well, I was going to ask you that too. With all yeah. this wine stuff, and yeah. you've got food stuff, and yeah. you're traveling. Oh, how do you get away? What do you do? What 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 do you do for fun? You got um, anything? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm in the incredibly fortunate position that that the thing that I do is also something I love. Hmm. So. um it is fun. I mean, what I do is fun. I, you know, it's it's yeah. it's great fun to write about wine, and and I a lot of my best friends are people that I know through the business I'm in. You know, um, I go to the gym so I don't fall over. You know, dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, this job has made me rounder than I once was. That's for sure. It's a risk of our job. Yeah. For sure. Um, you know, I I still maintain a, c- a connection to literature. I have a lot of friends who are writers, yeah. and and I and I certainly read a ton. And I love to travel, but honestly, most of the travel I do is is tied to wine to some degree. But mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, who can complain about going to Tuscany or going to oh, yeah. you know, Galicia and Spain? Um, Got some free time. Yeah, um, yeah. good. So. Mr. Ray Isle, <laughs> thanks for being here. If you don't know this guy, grab a copy of Food and Wine magazine and look <laughs> up his name and read read what he writes. Absolutely, uh, he knows his stuff. So thanks for coming in. And thanks for having me, Doug. It's great right. to see you. Be good. Thanks. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It was great to hear Ray's story and to get an idea of how it all fits together. His background in storytelling, in teaching, and theater all played into his success on the Today Show and in the pages of Food & Wine magazine. If you get a chance, be sure to keep an eye out for Ray's work. I think you'll find a lot to enjoy. Thanks very much for downloading another episode of The Taste. More and more people are finding it all the time, and if you'd like to help out, please rate and review it on iTunes. It helps more people find the show. 
And if you'd like to leave a comment or suggest someone as a guest, please email us at podcast at schafervineyards.com. Thanks very much, and we'll see you again next time.